All right. You guys can open up to, uh, uh, you can do the book of Amos, book of Ephesians. We'll kind of be in both of those. Uh, We'll end in Colossians. Open up to any of those. So we get started this morning. I want to read to you guys a uh, a uh, a news article that is uh, is pretty good. Uh, you know, it's probably a pretty good news article when it starts with a couple in Florida. Uh, you know that what's going to follow after that is probably going to be something pretty good. I know you guys can't probably can't read that, but I'm going to read this to you and we'll let it kind of set the stage for us this morning. A couple in Florida, Tito and Amanda Watts, were arrested a few days ago for selling golden tickets to heaven to hundreds of people. They sold the tickets on the street for $99.99 per ticket, told the buyers the tickets were made from solid gold, and that each ticket reserved the buyer a spot in heaven. Simply present the ticket at the pearly gates, and you're in. Tito Watts said in his police statement, I don't care what the police say, the tickets are solid gold, and it was Jesus who gave them to me behind the KFC and, and told me uh, to sell them so I could get some money to go to outer space. I met an alien named Stevie who said if I got the cash together, he would take me and my wife on his flying saucer to his planet made entirely of drugs. You should arrest Jesus because he is the one that gave me the golden tickets, and I'm willing to wear a wire to set Jesus up. In her police statement, Amanda Watts said, we just wanted to leave earth and go to space and do drugs. I, I did not do anything. Tito sold the, gold, sold the golden tickets to heaven. I just watched. And then the cherry on top here. Police said they confiscated over $10,000 in cash, drug paraphernalia, and a baby alligator. <laughs> this is a true news story. This is, I was reading this last night to Emily, and Emily said, that sounds like something that would be like, like Mad Libs when you're on vacation and you're just like filling in random stuff because that sounds absolutely absurd and it is absurd but you know when it starts out a Florida couple or a Florida man uh, that is probably going to end with something as ridiculous as that is. Uh, This morning we're going to finish up our series Rooted and you're like what does this have to do with our series Rooted? Just give me a minute. Uh, We've been looking at the why behind the what. Why do we do what we do uh, why uh, do, are things set up the way they are here at Providence? And there's a lot more we could talk about. We could spend several more weeks here. Uh, we've got uh, this, this final week here to kind of summarize much of what we've covered over the last few weeks. And you say, what in the world does a baby alligator have to do with what we do here on Sunday mornings? And the answer is to relieve your uh, fears. Nothing. Uh, no baby alligators, no snakes, none of that kind of stuff going to come out here. We don't do any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but this story illustrates, frankly, how a lot of churches and a lot of religion works. Now, maybe they're not quite as obvious as, uh, as Tito is here, uh, but Sunday mornings amount to the same thing as what they are doing. And maybe the price isn't ninety nine ninety nine, uh, but frankly, a lot of churches on Sunday mornings are just selling tickets to heaven uh, and trying to get people to buy those tickets uh, for for a, a variety of different costs and a variety of different prices. If you just sing loud enough, raise your hands at the right time, play the part, say the lingo, serve in the right ministry, give enough in the offering, or read the right books, if you find the right combination of those things, the golden ticket is yours, and you are on your way to heaven. 
So my question for you, is that what we're doing here on Sunday mornings? Are we just kind of indoctrinating you with some language, with some lingo, with some songs? Are we just kind of setting some things up here uh, that, that, that frankly is not a whole lot different than what we read in that story? It's just a little bit more respectable. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is what we do here on Sundays, and specifically what we're going to talk about is what we do here for worship. Now, if your mind went straight to music when I said that, you've already made one false step, and so I'll encourage you to back up just a little bit and to think about this. Music is a big part of what we do whenever we talk about worship, but it is not everything, because everything we do here on Sunday mornings is worship. Everything that we do, if we're doing it right, is about worship. So this morning we will talk a bit about music, but we need to think a little bit more holistically and have a little bit of a bigger picture if we're going to talk about uh, and, and kind of put music in its proper place. Uh, we, we have to be brutally honest about what we are doing here when we gather at all. I asked earlier in this series the question, why do we gather here on Sunday mornings? What's the point? What are we doing here when we get together? What we do here is kind of odd, singing songs, listening to uh, a sermon, a lecture, uh, baptism, Lord's Supper, when we do those things. Those things are all kind of odd. So I asked the question, why do we gather at all to do this? And my answer to that question a few weeks ago was twofold. I said we gather for two reasons. One, because we are a people. We are not individual Christians. We are not saved to be individuals, but in Christ, we are together a people. And the second reason is because the very nature of the church is that it is a gathering. That's what the word church, ecclesia, that's what it means. It means to gather. So why do we gather? Because God made us a people designed to gather together. That was the answer I gave a couple of weeks ago. So then my question today is, when we do gather together, what is the aim of our gatherings? What is the aim of the time that we spend here together? If you have, like me, spent some time watching some football this weekend, uh, you've seen one reason why some people can gather and gather in massive numbers around the shared love of college football. And make no mistake about it, there is plenty of worshiping happening in those stadiums. People gather for concerts, and make no mistake about it, plenty of people uh, are gathering for concerts, and then they call that church, because that's really what is happening. It's just a concert. People gather together for movies, for entertainment. They gather together to do service projects. They gather for all kinds of reasons, But what about us? What is our aim when we walk in the doors and whenever we gather together? Is it just to be able to hear some music? Is it just to be able to check a box? Is it just to be able to say that we did it? What is the aim of our time together here? This is not a topic that God is silent on in the scriptures. We've been talking about exile much of this year and it and we're going we're gonna to pick right back up on that next week. We're going to get into First Peter. We're going to pick right back up on the theme that carried us through uh, much of the winter and the spring. We've been talking about exile. And one of the big pieces of exile was the warning that came from the prophets about their worship. And worship was a big problem for Israel. Listen to this from Amos. Really, you could just read the whole book of Amos. It's really just one big just one big warning that was not heeded. But listen to this, Amos chapter 5, verse 21. 
I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. God is not silent about what we do when we gather together. He has an opinion on it. He is watching it. He is involved in it. God cares about what our purpose is here together. He is not interested in us trying to purchase a ticket to heaven here. He's not interested in us trying to check off our to-do list like they were doing in Israel. Each part of what we do here matters. These words from the prophet Amos should sting They should ring in our ears when we walk in here and come through these doors together. So how do we know that we are not falling into the same trap that Israel did? How do we know, how do we keep from falling into that same pattern, that same rut to where we eventually become, come to a place where God says, I despise your songs. I don't want to hear you. Just be quiet. A good question to ask then would be, what did they do in the, New Testament, in the New Testament? Did Paul give any kind of instructions about what this should look like when we gather together? Honestly, that's what the whole second half of the book of 1 Corinthians is about. You could read through that. It's Paul giving instructions about gathered worship together. But listen to these two passages from Ephesians and Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So clearly music is a big part of the instruction that Paul gives to these New Testament believers to sing, to sing hymns, to sing spiritual songs, to sing psalms, to come together and to sing. It's a big part. But I want you to notice one part of what Paul says in verse 19 of that Ephesians passage. He says, addressing one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Do you find that interesting that that's what Paul says? I want you to think about what you do whenever you gather in here and you sing these songs that we just sang. Do you feel like you are addressing one another? Or you feel like you're singing straight up to God and it's kind of like, it, 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 it's all of us in here having our own private worship service between you and God. I think generally that's how we think about worship music. Especially the direction that worship music has taken as it's moved away from hymns and moved toward uh, the, the stuff that we were singing here this morning. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about about all of that stuff, but it is moved from something that we do together to something that we do individually in the same room. Does that make sense? But that's not how Paul sees this worship as working. It's not how he sees the music as working. 
We tend to think of it as something between us and God. We just have other people around us to harmonize, and if you're as bad as I am, to drown out our voice. So you just hear theirs, and you don't hear your own whenever you are singing. But that's not how Paul sees it. In our music, we are no doubt praising God. We are no doubt providing our offering of praise to him. For sure, that is a part of it. But Paul sees that our music also carries with it a measure of something for each other. A measure of something for one another. We are teaching one another. We are comforting one another. We are spurring one another on. We are admonishing one another. This is why we sing together. If not, what we could do, we could save everybody a little bit of time. And what we could do is we could send out on Saturday night, we could send out like a Spotify playlist that had all the songs that we were going to sing. And we could just say, hey, can y'all make sure that y'all do this before you get here on Sunday mornings? We want to make sure that your mind is right and let you guys go ahead and get that singing part of worship out of the way. And then we'll just come in here and teach. And then we can beat, we can beat everybody to the restaurants after that and we can get on with our day. Because it'll just be, just, be, just be preaching. We don't need to sing. But we don't do that because we believe it's important that we do it together. We do it together because part of that is we are instructing one another. We are caring for one another when we sing. As you've heard me say before, sometimes we sing because the person two rows back behind us doesn't have a song for that morning. They may have come in here this morning and they may not have been able to stand up here and sing about the faithfulness of God because where they sit, where they can't see how God's going to come through. And what they need is they need to see somebody else sitting over on the side that has gone through a similar thing or gone through a similar dark time and they said, that person's singing and I remember what they were going through. And we teach and we comfort one another in that way. We sang this morning one of my favorite lines in any of the songs that we sing. Whenever it says, uh, when we sing and it says, you have no rival and you have no equal. I love that part of that song. That is such a great confession for us to be able to make. But here's the thing. Objectively, I know that is true. But in reality, when I walk out this door, shoot. In reality, as I stand here right now, in my heart, God has rivals. My pride is, is a rival to God. Now, now, this is not a rivalry in the sense that you have two foes that are equally matched against one another. It is simply one in my heart. God has, objectively, has no rivals, no equals. No one is on the same playing field with him. That much we can say is true, but sometimes we need to be reminded of that because in our hearts there is a war at all times. And so for us to come together and sing that together corporately, we are telling one another, I know in my heart there's a war, but I know that God has no rival. And we are, we are admonishing, we are teaching one another in that. This is how corporate worship is meant to work. And again, when I say corporate worship, I'm talking about singing, but I'm also talking about the Lord's Supper. I'm also talking about baptism. I'm also talking about fellowship. I'm also talking about what we are doing right now. We are worshiping right now. You are worshiping in your active listening. I am worshiping in my teaching. It all works together. It's all worship. And this is how this should work. This is how this should play out. And this is why we do it together. Your voice can become someone else's voice when they have no voice. 
And we have to be very, very careful that we don't equate entertainment value with worship. This is a huge problem for the church today. This is a huge problem. How a song makes us feel is not the same thing as the moving of the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to this quote from a pastor. His name's Joe Thorne. He says, entertainment is a good thing, but its purpose is the refreshment of the mind and the body, not transformation of the mind or the edification of the spirit. The danger of entertainment in worship is not about which musical instruments are permitted or what era of hymns the church should sing. The danger is found in what the church is aiming at. Entertainment has a different aim than worship. Entertainment is something offered to people for their amusement. But worship has a different focus and produces a different result. He goes on to make the point that, that, that worship is obviously, necessarily focused outside of ourselves. It is not about us and our preferences. The, the, the focus of worship is intentionally and very necessarily on God, not on us. The difference is not merely style. I know plenty of people that love their hymns because that's entertaining to them. Because that's the words they know, that's the songs that they know, and they sing those. And it's fine to, be, to, get, to get joy from that. I'm not knocking getting joy from that. But they're just simply not entertained by the other stuff because that's not their style. But their style is hymns. It's the same problem either way. Entertainment cannot be our goal. It's the difference between cotton candy and a steak. Steak is full of protein, it will, it, will, it will build us up, it will provide fuel that sustains, whereas cotton candy tastes good for the moment, but in the end, if that's all you eat, it will kill you. It's nothing but air. No nutritional purpose, and it is not good for us. There is power in worship, there is no power in entertainment. Entertainment has its place, and it is a good gift from God, but it is not what we are doing here on Sunday mornings. Now, let me just say, church should not be boring. It should not be stale. If it is, I would suggest that you have a very poor picture of who God is. It should not be boring. It should engage our emotions, but it is not primarily about entertainment. Worship is our aim here on Sundays. So let's take just a minute and focus in on the music part, and let's just talk about that, and then we'll pull back out and we'll consider just a few more things. It's not going to be terribly long this morning, but I think this is important. First, so the music. I'll be honest. I have no idea how to talk about this with all of you. I have no idea how to talk about this with all of you because one thing I know is that no one in this room, no one in this room is entirely satisfied with our music. Nobody, myself included. Chris included. If Jordan were here, Jordan too. None of us are fully satisfied with our music. Like there's parts of it that we would change if we could. That's not a knock on Chris and, and, and how he's led us over the last decade. That's not a knock on the band. It's not a knock on anyone else. It's a function of a few realities that are completely unavoidable. And again, completely honest, if I could make all of you happy, I would do it. Because I am a weak person, I would do it. I would snap my, snap my fingers, I would wiggle my nose, I would do whatever it takes to make all of you happy with everything that we do here on Sunday mornings. I would do whatever I could with our musical choices, with our band choices, with whatever, I would make all of that happen. I'd do it. But I'll also tell you that I think it would be terrible for us if I did it. 
I don't think it would be good for all of you if you enjoyed everything that we did here on Sunday mornings. In fact, I think it's healthy if everyone here has something that they don't like about what we do on Sunday mornings. I think it's actually really, really good for us because it's a reminder of what we're doing. We are not the focus of this time. We are not the, the focus. We, when you have to listen to a song you don't like, or when the band is off just a little bit as they lead and it makes you realize we don't have professional musicians, which let me just say, our band is remarkably talented, especially for the size of the church that we are. They are phenomenal in what they do, and especially when they've got an hour and a half to practice five to six songs before they lead you on Sunday mornings. What they do, I think, is phenomenal, and they don't get enough credit for it because it's not a concert. And frankly, we like concerts. What our band does is, is great. But when the band is off a little bit or you don't like the musical choices, you don't like the songs, it makes you realize, you know what, this is not about me. And I'm not 100% satisfied right now with what's happening. And that's good for you. That's good for your sanctification, and it's good for your growth. Now, I'm not saying that we should be satisfied or happy with something that's poorly done. We should not. One of our core values here at Providence is perpetual improvement. Notice we don't say excellence. We don't say excellence because, frankly, there's some things that we will never be excellent at. But we always want to be getting better. We always want to be getting better. But, but we're not putting on a concert. It's just not our goal. We are not going for max entertainment value. We deliberately change our band every week. You may have two people. You may have one person up here leading. You may have eight or nine people up here leading. You may have drums and bass and an electric guitar. You may have a mandolin and a banjo. It's been too long since we've done that. But you may have a mandolin and a banjo. Or you may have just an acoustic guitar. You may just have keys. I don't know. But we deliberately change that all the time. Why? Because y'all like different things. Some of y'all love the drums, dual electric guitars, and blow us out of the room. Some of y'all like it whenever we just got the keys and we're just singing old hymns. I, I get it. I, I like all of it, to be honest with you, but I get it. I get that the, 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 the everybody likes it differently. But we aren't married to one style. We are not married, married to, one, uh, to, to one era, to one sound even. But we are married to worship. That is what we want to do. We want to instruct one another in good doctrine. Sing, sing songs that allow us to declare the glory of God together. It's impossible to do that in a way that satisfies everyone. I want to tell you a story from a few, a few years ago. We, we sang a song three or four times here. Maybe we, should, maybe we should bring it back again. But it's one of my favorite hymns. It is a fantastic hymn. It's called, I Ask the Lord That I Might Grow. It's written by John Newton, same guy that wrote Amazing Grace. It's a powerful hymn. It has no repeated choruses. It has no big swells. It doesn't drone on and on and on. Some of y'all are like, oh, I'm liking this more and more. Let's keep doing this. But it, 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 it tells a powerful story. It's the story of God answering the prayer for growth and answering it in very unexpected ways. The singer starts the song and tells of how they hoped God would show them favor and would bless them. That's not how God answers the prayer. I'm going to read for you three stanzas here, okay? 
It says, instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart and let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds and laid me low. That's a good line, blasted my gourds. I'm going to figure out how to work that into conversation somehow. Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answered prayer for grace and faith. It's a powerful hymn about the mysterious ways that God works. here's, Here's why I read that. That Sunday, I had one person come to me and tell me how much they loved that song that they had never heard it before, but it was amazing how, uh, how the, the, that turn right there to say that that's how God answered the prayer, what that was already doing in their hearts and helped them see part of how God works. They could listen to it again and again. They wanted to go find it so they could uh, you know, buy it or download it or, or listen to it on Spotify or whatever. That Monday, I got an email from a church member thanking us for singing it because of how powerfully God had used it in their life in the past and how powerful it, it, it is now and what it meant to them now. That same Sunday, I also got an anonymous note in the offering box. It may have been from one of you. I don't know because you didn't sign it. But I got an anonymous note. And it said, does anyone even pay attention to the words of the songs we are singing? Wilt thou pursue thou worm to death? That song was hard to sing, and why in the world would we call ourselves worms? We need to pick better songs. That, in a nutshell, is what it's like trying to lead music and pick songs. Some people love it. Some people hate it. That is the reality of how we do this. This is music ministry in the church today. Listen, the music here won't be perfect. It won't be your choice of songs sometimes. Hopefully sometimes it is. We want you to sing songs that you love. We also want you to sing songs that you don't love because you love your neighbor and you love your brother and sister in Christ. And because you can learn and grow in your knowledge of God, even in songs that you don't particularly care for. If we can do that on Sunday, I'll take it. I can't wave a wand and make you love every song that we sing. But I can implore you to care for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I can implore you to worship even through songs that don't just immediately hit you and make you feel like, yeah, that's my song. And if we can do that, then we will have done well on a Sunday mornings. And we'll take that because that's our goal in everything that we do. The mission of Providence Church, to glorify God, a.k.a. worship, to glorify God in making, growing, and unleashing disciples of Jesus Christ. Our hope is that in everything that we do, especially everything we do whenever we gather, will serve that purpose. That it will glorify God, will make disciples, it will grow disciples, and it will unleash disciples in the ministry of Christ. This is true of the music, the preaching, the praying, the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, fellowship, ministry. It's true of all of it. The glory of God and the discipleship of His people. And we must trust the work of the Spirit 
to apply each of those things because those are the means that God has given us for discipleship, to do the work of sanctification. We are here together, and that is our goal. So whether or not the music is your cup of tea, discipleship is always the goal. Your discipleship and your neighbor's. The, the entire liturgy of a Sunday morning, that means the things that we do every week, over and over and over, the habits, the things that make Providence Church, Providence Church, the things that we do, our habits and our rituals, are designed for discipleship. I've told you several times in this series, and I will tell you again, I want us to be better at our liturgy. I want us to be better at the things that we do over and over and over again, more intentional, more discipleship-oriented, more explicit in what we are trying to do. We want to get better at those things. But it's all designed for our sanctification. That all of, things, all of these things will work their way into our hearts. And the things we do week in and week out will shape you in ways that you don't even know. And will serve us all as we grow. I want to close out this series by kind of revisiting some of the things that we started in the very first week. I want to give us one last picture of this idea of being rooted. Uh, can, can you put that picture up on the screen that's there? If you put the, this picture up here. Does anybody know? I know this is not a great picture. I snapped this literally on the back of a covered wagon in Wyoming, so you're going to have to give me a break. But anybody know what that tree is? Any chance? Anybody? Whoa, man, who, who said that? Man. That's good, man. That is an aspen tree. Don't ruin the answer to this next question if you know something about aspen trees. All right. How many, this is national forest goes on for like hundreds of thousands of acres. How many aspen trees do you think are in that, that park? Just a guess. Anybody? Anybody want to throw something out there? No? All right. Here's the answer. You ready? One. There's one aspen tree. Let me tell you how aspen trees work. And I swear to you, I told Emily while we were on the back of this covered wagon, and the guide, the guide told us, I told Emily, I said, I'm going to preach that because that's good. That'll preach. Here, here's the deal. The aspen tree, it, it's, it's, in a, it, it's in a grove. It's called a stand. It is one organism. Every aspen tree that you see comes off of the same root. So it is not a bunch of individual trees. It is one tree, one, one root, and every tree comes up off of, that, uh, off of that root. And it goes on for, I mean, miles and miles, acres and acres and acres of these trees. It's one aspen tree. It's one giant organism. Listen, that is, that is everything I'm trying to convey in this series when we talk about being rooted in Christ, though individual expressed, individual uh, trees, if you will, we are all rooted in Christ and we are one. So listen, what's good for one of us is good for all of us. When discipleship occurs for one of us, so if you show up here on a Sunday morning and maybe you're like, you know what, I didn't get much out of that. Well, that's going to happen. Sometimes, man, I don't, I don't knock it out of the park with the sermon. Sometimes we don't knock it out of the park with the music. Sometimes you don't knock it out of the park with listening. That's all part of the deal, right? We realize that that's going to be part of it. 
But maybe, maybe your presence here really did something for somebody else. And when that person grows, because we are all one in Christ, it's good for all of us. It's what's It's what we're rooted in that determines all of this. We are rooted together in Christ. And so I'll go back to Colossians chapter 2 where we began this series. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So as we wrap this up, as we head into a new series next week, walking through 1 Peter together, I just want to remind us of what it is that we do when we gather together. We love one another. We care for one another. We do worship. We worship in a way that instructs others, but also brings glory to God, magnifies Him, and reminds each of us of the worth of who He is and what He is. That's what we do whenever we gather together. When we take the Lord's Supper, whenever we gather together in our front porch communities and our discipleship groups, whenever we study the Word, whenever we pray, whenever we do all of those things, all of those things come out of this root structure, and all of that root structure is rooted in Christ. It is not rooted in a to-do list. It is not rooted in in some measure of us needing to, to, to do something in order to get our ticket to heaven. We are not selling any kind of ticket to heaven here. We are proclaiming and magnifying the glory of Jesus. And it is in Christ, and it is in the worship of Christ, that together we will grow and we will be one in Him. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning as we prepare to sing another song, and as we consider what it means to worship you, we, uh, we, we quickly confess and we, we pray that we would not be like those that you warned from, the, from the, the, the prophet Amos. Father, we pray that as we sing these songs, that it would be a blessing to you, that, that you would receive our worship. But Father, I pray that where we are off, where we have, we have bought into entertainment, where we have pursued the wrong thing, Father, I pray that you will correct us. You will convict us. You will admonish us. Father, teach us to care more about others than we care about ourselves. And remind us at all times that you have no rival, no equal, and you are the only one worthy of our worship. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.